Part One, Chapter Seven to Nine of This Giddy Globe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. The Reader, read by David Lawrence. This Giddy Globe by Oliver Herford, Chapter Seven: The Temperature of the Globe. In spite of incessant and violent exercise, the giddy globe, as we have remarked before, is unable to keep comfortably warm all over. Her temperature varies from intense cold at her upper and lower extremities to fever heat in the region of her equatorial diaphragm. Ancient geographers indicated these variations of temperature by means of zones. The term zone is derived from the Greek word sunny, a belt or girdle, and a girdle in the days of the first geography book was the principal, if not only, garment of a well-dressed person. Today, however, the girl is no longer accepted as a complete costume. No modern costumer would countenance such a model, it would be too easy to copy and consequently unprofitable. Even the Niblas Ultra of Newport or Pine Beach Society would hesitate to pose for the Sunday supplement photographer in a one-piece bathing girdle. You might explore the world of dress, from the land of the midnight follies to the uttermost parts of Greenwich Village, and find nothing exactly like it. It is on its way to be sure, but it will never be fashionable until the two extremes of decollete, of ballroom and of bathing beach, here meet in a bewildering way and mingle all the charms of each. Why then in this up-to-date geography book should we depict a giddy globe in an obsolete hoop skirt of imaginary zones? When striving to answer the question, we have hit upon a pleasing compromise. At least it is up-to-date. A and E are the two extremities of the giddy globe, which are quite bare. They correspond to the frigid zones. C is the corset, which, being hot and uncomfortable, corresponds to the torrid. D is, that is to say, A. Pardon us for interrupting, but we thought this was to be a geography book. Chapter 8. The Age of the Globe Some people are sensitive about their ages. The giddy globe has never told hers. Rude men of science, after careful examination, declare she can't be a day under five billion years old. Theologians, ever tactful in feminine matters, set her down as a shrinking young thing of barely four thousand summers. Real delicacy of feeling goes with the bulging thumb rather than with the bulging forehead. Whoever saw a thin bishop or a fat man of science? Happy the man with the bulging thumb, who smiles and smiles and is never glum. But the less for the man with the bulging brow. If he wanted to smile, he wouldn't know how. If the giddy globe asked us to guess her age, we should say, without a moment's hesitation, Whatever it is, you certainly don't look it. Astronomers may say what they like. A planet is as old as it looks, especially if it is a lady planet, and we have seen hours when she didn't look a June day over sixteen. And not having a bulging forehead, we told her so. Astronomers think themselves so wise, but what do they know about the sex of the planets? With the exception of Mother Earth and all Solphobus, nothing. If you asked an astronomer whether the plate girls were really the daughters of Atlas, and what Jupiter was doing with eight moons, if there were eight moons, he would think you were trifling with him. But is it not possible that the old Greek tales were the garbled gossip of an age-forgotten science, of which we have only the ABC? If it is love that makes the world go round, and who can prove that it isn't, what makes the other planets go round? How about the movements of the heavenly bodies? How about— This is all very interesting, but don't you think perhaps it is— Quite right, quite right. How do we run on? Chapter 9. The Face of the Globe There are no good photographs of the giddy globe. She refuses to sit. Imagine attempting to photograph an obese and flighty spheroid who spends her time pirouetting around in a circle with all her might and main. 
Perhaps it is to avoid the photographer that the earth spins, and not merely to reduce her girth as we hinted elsewhere. In these days, such a strenuous evasion of publicity is suspicious. Where does she come from? Where is she going? She refuses to answer. She will not even state her business or tell her real name. For eons, quite a number of eons, this giddy one has been going round, under various male and female aliases such as Cosmos, Mother Earth, The World, Mrs. Grundy, The Footstool, The Terrestrial Globe. If you look up her record, you will find the following press notices. The Earth is a thief, Timon of Athens. Earth is bitter, Wordsworth. This distracted globe, Hamlet. This tough world, King Lear. Naughty world, Merchant of Venice. This world is given to the lying, Henry Fourth. This world is too much with us, Wordsworth. The world is grown so bad, Richard Third. The narrow world, Julius Caesar. The world is not thy friend, Romeo and Juliet. The world's a bubble, Bacon. This world is all a fleeting show, Moore. This world was not worthy, St. Paul. The world's a tragedy, Horace Walpole. This bleak world, Moore. The very weight of all this unintelligible world, Wordsworth. A world of vile, ill-favored faults, Merry Wives of Windsor. Stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world, Hamlet. This dim spot that men call Earth, Milton. The wicked world, W. S. Gilbert. It is possible that the giddy globe has read the above clippings, and realizing that she has been discovered, spins round with all her might to avoid being photographed for the rogues' gallery of the universe. Appearances are certainly against her. When I am moved to contemplate the rude and unregenerate state of that rampageous reprobate, the world at large, and as a market stony fifth, and see it whoop and whirl and whiz, I can but cry, O Lord, where is the world at large? End of part one. Chapter 7 to 9. Recording by Ellie. January 2010.